We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Welcome to the Rotowire NBA podcast. It is Wednesday, June 7th. Today we'll be talking with Ricky O'Donnell, college basketball editor and NBA contributor at SB Nation. If you follow the NBA, you know Ricky's one of the best draft experts out there, so we really appreciate him giving us an hour of his time. With that, let's get to it. All right, we are now joined by Ricky O'Donnell of SB Nation. Ricky, you were kind enough to join us on the pod a few months ago. Really glad we have the opportunity now to get you back on before the NBA draft. Appreciate you taking the time. Thanks for having me. All right, so we'll start a little bit more broadly. Uh, I just kind of want to get your opinion on where you stand as far as how talented this draft could be when we look back in a few years. It's kind of tough to contextualize, or contextualize, I should say, you know, whether it's more historically good at the top with some of the elite prospects that we have uh or if it's maybe going to be historically deep as you get into the you know the meat of the first round I think as I look at it there's a potential that I could end up really being both uh I wouldn't use the word historically when discussing this draft I do think this is a super intriguing draft for two reasons one I really like the top nine of the draft I think the top nine is pretty awesome uh, just a lot of really fun players. Then you combine that with the franchises picking at the top of the draft, the Celtics, the Lakers, the Sixers. It just seems like there's so many glamour franchises, marquee franchises uh, in a position to 
you know, really make themselves a lot better going into the future. So I think that that combination is what makes this draft uh, so compelling. The other thing, too, is that, you know, I don't really look at this draft and see a Kevin Durant or a LeBron James or someone who's really going to change the way we think about basketball. Uh, however, I think that the top nine guys in this draft are just really fun. And they're going to be people that NBA nerds like us just really enjoy watching and people that are going to add players that are going to add, you know, a lot of color and a lot of value to the league. So I think that that's my main takeaway from this draft. Uh, but, you know, beyond the top nine, I don't really like this draft very much. Like, I'm a Bulls fan. The Bulls have the 16th pick. It's hard for me to identify a player that I really want them to take because I think there's a lot of big men uh, in this draft at a time when, like, who wants to draft a big man? Kevin Durant's playing center in the NBA Finals. Who wants to draft a big man? It's, like, useless, you know? So, uh you know, there's just a lot of compelling narratives all around, I think. And really, if you use the finals as a lens to view this draft, I think that uh, it makes it even more compelling. So you said after pick number nine, there's a little bit of a drop off. Like, where is that cutoff for you as far as like which player falls at number nine? And, you know, where does that, you know, kind of second tier start? Yeah, so I know the Americans a lot more than the international guys because I followed all these kids as recruits coming up through the ranks uh, so I guess the 10th guy would be Frank Tilakina. So I'll throw Tilakina in there. He seems pretty interesting. The report yesterday was that he's going to have a 7-1 wingspan. Seems like he could be a 3 and D type of point guard. So let's go top 10. And then the 11th pick, which belongs to the Hornets. We've already heard the Pistons at 12 are looking to trade out. Uh, I would have Zach Collins as the 11th best player in this draft. But I think there's a pretty big drop-off maybe from Tilakina to him just because it's like, like I said, who really wants a center at this point? Uh, and so, yeah, I, I would draw the line at, I guess, the 10th spot if we're going to include Tilakina in this conversation. So it sounds like you're including Laurie Markkinen then in your top 10? Yeah, I really like Laurie Markkinen. I think Laurie Markkinen is going to have a really interesting career. I mean, just look what Ryan Anderson did for James Harden this year. Like, Ryan Anderson changed James Harden from someone who was like sort of disappointing to like the best, most unstoppable player in the league. And that's the value of spacing. Uh, I remember an old tweet from Ethan Strauss like five years ago that said that spacing is the legal PED. And I really think that's true. And Markkinen is an elite shooter in the front court. Like he's not just a capable shooter. He's like an elite shooter, seven feet tall, incredibly quick release, great accuracy, deep range, He's going to suck on defense, but it's like, how much worse is he actually going to be than Ryan Anderson? Like, does Ryan Anderson provide much defensive resistance? I don't think so. And he still had an incredible impact on Houston this year. Granted, he found a great fit with the right coach and the right star player. But I, I just really like Markkinen. Uh, it's, you know, I guess his defensive liability is something that's going to scare some teams away, some fans away. I know the Mavs fans don't really want him at number nine just from talking on Twitter. Uh, and then it goes back to, you know, the thing where like, you know, the traditional big man is a bit outdated now. Like you'd rather have Jonathan Isaac playing center than Laurie Markkinen playing center, even though they're like sort of totally different players. Uh, but Markkinen is just such a sh great shooter. Like we saw Kelly Olynyk swing a playoff game this year. Why can't Markkinen do that? I think he's going to be able to. So I'm including Markkinen in there. I think he's an interesting player and he's pretty unique to just given his size and shooting ability. So looking at the top of the draft, are you any less sure right now than you were maybe two months ago that Markel Fultz is going to be the number one pick? 
No, he's the best player by far. Uh, people who haven't seen him, I would. So there's a lot of different comparisons for him. Like I've seen Harden as a comparison. I've seen Dwayne Wade as a comparison. I've seen Brandon Roy as a comparison. Like if you want my take on Fultz, I would say he's just a bigger Kyrie Irving. I expect him to be better than Kyrie Irving. And Kyrie's awesome. Obviously, he has some limitations defensively. I think Fultz having more size will make up for a lot of that. Uh, I just think that Fultz's ability to make shots off the dribble at deep range and his ability to finish acrobatically at the rim and his just creativity with the ball in his hands really sets him apart. I think Fultz is going to be a stud. I would say he should be one of the best guards in the NBA when he reaches his peak. So to me, it's Fultz and then there's everyone else. Yeah, I think I think James and I are both all in on Fultz as well. I mean, I think it says a lot that you have these other you know, big time prospects, Ball, Jackson, Fox, Tatum, who would honestly have pretty legitimate debates to go number one, you know, in a lot of drafts, like something James and I have kind of joked about as you look back at that 2013 draft, the Anthony Bennett draft, like how many prospects in this year's class would have gone number one in 2013? I think you can make a case for what, six, seven, maybe even as many as eight. Yeah, who knows? I actually thought that Anthony Bennett was a pretty good prospect back in the day. So that tells you how much I know. I mean, well, I mean, obviously now, four years later, it's easy to say, you know, all these guys should go there. But even then, you know, it's like nobody was all that high on Otto Porter at three or, you know, even Oladipo at two. I think some people thought was a little bit of a reach. Yeah, but how about this? Like no one in this draft is going to be as good as Giannis. Like Giannis would be number one in any draft. Mm hmm. Right, I mean, so, yeah. If, if, if like the way you view it, yeah. yeah. I guess Oladipo to me is a better gauge than Anthony Bennett because I think everyone agreed that Oladipo was a top three player in that draft, and if he was available in this class, I feel like most people would have Malik Monk over him, and yeah, you know, maybe be, like, be close be, between him and a guy well, like Dennis Smith. Let's say right now, like, I mean, this is obviously very much hypothetical, but if you could transplant Oladipo, knowing what we know about him now and just say he was in this draft class, like how many of these guys would you say, I would rather have player X than Victor Oladipo? Again, so the question, know about him. The, given what we know about him, I mean, right. he hasn't been a very good player to this point. I'd say he's been a little bit underwhelming. I think so. Uh, like, I would still roll with Oladipo, though. Right. Know? But if somebody said you could have Oladipo on a rookie contract for the next four years or Jason Tatum on a rookie contract for the next four years, like. Uh. I'm going Tatum all day. I would day. go Tatum for sure. And I think you could say the same for a lot of people would probably say the same for Fox, Jackson, obviously Fultz and Ball, probably Isaac. I was going to say the question would be Oladipo versus Donovan Mitchell. Yeah. Because they're kind of similar players. They're both short. They both have explosive athleticism. They both have long arms. I mean, ideally, both could get as good as Avery Bradley. Like, that's what you would want mm. out of Oladipo or Donovan Mitchell. Yeah. So, yeah. No. Have Oladipo like ten in this draft? Yeah, I think that's. I mean, maybe you put him ahead of Markinen. Maybe you put him ahead of, but you know, maybe I don't know. He, he's like similar to Don, Donovan Mitchell is similar to Oladipo, I think. Uh, so that that would be the debate to me. Where are you at on Mitchell overall? I think he's somebody that a month or two ago, before the combine, was a late first round pick, and now this, you know you're seeing him pop up as high as ten or eleven in a lot of mocks. I love Donovan Mitchell. I've been on the Donovan Mitchell bandwagon for a long time. I want the Bulls to draft him. If he's available at 16, I don't think he will be anymore. Uh, To me, Mitchell's entering the league at a really good time because there's more non-traditional ball handlers than ever. Like, you just look around the league and, like, Giannis is a point guard, Ben Simmons is a point guard, LeBron's a point guard, Harden's a point guard, even Jimmy Butler's sort of a point guard. 
and so because of that, I think that you need someone to defend point guards on the other end while still giving you some high-level athleticism, some supplemental playmaking, and the promise of some three-point range on offense. And I think Mitchell checks all those boxes. Uh, you know, he is short at 6'3", but the 6'10 wingspan makes up for a lot of it. I also think it's, like, similar to Bradley. Like, Avery Bradley was amazing in the playoffs this year. I have a really high opinion of Avery Bradley as a player. I'll go to war with that guy any day. And it's mostly because he's a dog on defense and he's really athletic. And I think that Mitchell can sort of be similar to that. Maybe that's a ceiling and maybe that's not like the most appealing ceiling, I guess, if you have the 10th or 11th pick in the draft. But I mean, I just think the way the league's trending, Mitchell is a really good fit if you can put him next to like a non-traditional ball handler so he doesn't have, you know, too many playmaking duties on his plate. So going back to Markel Fultz real quickly, assuming he does end up in Boston, what do you see his role being as a rookie? I mean, it's relatively unprecedented for rookies that have his, you know, kind of appeal and reputation coming out of college in a draft this deep, probably coming off the bench. I mean, obviously we saw that with Bennett in 2013, but the type of prospect that he is compared to Fultz, um, you know, really isn't comparable. I don't see, unless they opt to move Isaiah Thomas, who's expiring next summer, I don't see a situation in in which those two necessarily start together. Yeah, but it's like, Fultz, he's so young, he's 19, like, you don't really need to put a lot on his plate right away. I think next year's role is going to be as a bench scorer, like a microwave scorer, someone who could play with every member of their backcourt. Like, they have a lot of guards in Boston already. But I think he could play with Isaiah Thomas in a sense. I don't think he'll start next to him, but he could play some minutes with IT because then you'll like force Fultz to play some defense. Whereas now it's like he's so talented offensively that he doesn't really need to try on defense. I think like forcing him to play defense early in his career by pairing him with Thomas would actually be beneficial for him. And he's got the size and the length to defend two guards or even three. So, uh, I think that works. Bradley is probably his most natural complement in the backcourt because Bradley's just a beast of a defender. And Fultz is a he's an amazing scorer. So then Fultz, you know, he would learn a little bit what it's like to carry an offense with that backcourt pairing. Same goes for Marcus Smart. Uh they have, you know, Bradley and Smart have similar strengths and weaknesses. So I think Fultz is gonna be a killer next year, even. Like I don't know what his numbers are gonna be, but he's gonna have some thirty point games, I bet where he's just feeling it because he can really score the basketball easily. He makes the game look easy. There's just no one who really combines his size, his feel, his athleticism, and, like, his smoothness. Like, he can score at the rim similar to Kyrie. I mean, Kyrie's maybe the best ever at finishing, but, you know, similar to that, I think. Uh, And he can just rip Jays off the dribble. So I expect Fultz's role as a rookie to just be a microwave scorer. And then, you know, when they do go with the Fultz IT pairing, I think that would be cool because it'll force Fultz to play some D. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So on a similar note, what would Lonzo Ball's role be for the Lakers? And kind of what would that mean for D'Angelo Russell, who's essentially in a similar position to what Isaiah Thomas would be with Fultz? Well, I mean, they moved Russell to the two guard at the end of last year anyway. Mm -hmm. They were playing Jordan Clarkson at the point at the end of last year. I'm actually still pretty high on Russell, but I really like the idea of the Ball-Russell pairing. I think that's super intriguing. I believe Russell, he's like 6'5 with a 6'9 wingspan, right? And Ball is like 6'6 with a 6'8 or 6'9 wingspan. So they can defend either guard spot. They can both handle 
They can both shoot. The thing is, when you get big point guards like those guys, they typically can't shoot, like Ricky Rubio or Emmanuel Moutier or John Wall. But what makes those guys interesting is they can both shoot the ball with deep range. So I think that if you just look at college basketball in the last few years, teams that went with two point guards have had an amazing advantage. I'm thinking back to UConn with Shabazz and Ryan Boatwright. I'm thinking back to Duke with Tyus Jones and Quinn Cook. I'm thinking back to Villanova with Jalen Brunson and Ryan Archie Diacono. Like that doesn't work in the NBA usually because if you get those big guards, they can't shoot. But now you have two big guards who can shoot and who can handle and who can dribble. And as long as they're unselfish, with Lonzo's a very unselfish player. Uh, Russell, I don't really know, but I think that if you put him in the right situation and they're winning, I would still trust Russell to be a, a very good player. Uh, I really like the fit of Ball to the Lakers. I guess the question is, like, how much defense are they going to play? Their defense was 30th in the league last year. And at that point, would you rather have Josh Jackson, who's going to be, you know, an interchangeable wing with Brandon Ingram, and he's going to be a really good defensive player who can switch every screen, which I wrote about this week. So, I don't know. That's that's a tough question for me, for the Lakers' number two baller, Jackson. I mean, I think, in a sense, there's no wrong answer. But if the Lakers are going with Ingram, Russell, Ball, and then no one in the front court who's like a plus defensive player, no draft pick next year, it's like how much defense are they really going to play? They're just going to have to outgun you. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I actually like Josh Jackson more than Lonzo Ball as a prospect and sort of view him as kind of the 1B to Markel Fultz's 1A. Uh, that, that article you wrote about him this week, uh, titled Josh Jackson is the only 2017 NBA draft pick who could survive in the finals right now. Uh, do you want to kind of elaborate on that and, and you know, speak to some of the, the skills that, that Jackson has that kind of makes him unique for a, a wing at this age? Yeah, I guess like the most important skill in the league right now is probably shooting. And then I would say the second most important skill is defensive versatility. Like, the Warriors changed everything. They changed the game. The game changed a lot faster than anyone anticipated it would change. Whereas, like, now, I think you really need to be able to guard three or four positions at minimum to be a useful player because you just have to switch screens. It's the only way to defend a team with a lot of high-level options. Like, if the Cavs were to trade Kevin Love, like, Kevin Love's a good player, but he's not really useful against the Warriors to me. Because he can't really defend a wide, he can't defend anyone, let alone a wide variety of players. So, like, if I were the Cavs, I would want someone like Josh Jackson. If I was trading Kevin Love, not saying that deal would be on the table. I don't think it will be, but like, that's the type of player I'd want because he's really athletic. He's unselfish on offense. He's always going to make the right play. He's got a high feel for the game. And then defensively, he can just switch every screen. So, like, theoretically, he could guard Clay, Steph, and Durant. Like, no one can guard any of those guys, really, but, like, theoretically, he would have a chance to be able to. And I think that that is just super valuable in today's NBA. I think the biggest thing, and, and you did a good job including videos of this uh, in that article, which you can find, of course, on SB Nation, is the passing. And, you know, you talk, people talk about all the time, you know, having the passing gene, and, you know, it's just not necessarily something you can teach like you can with, you know, ball handling and shooting, th things you can improve with drills. The type of passing you know, from Jackson on the wing as a guy who for this Kansas team was a lot of times not the featured option, you know, almost never the featured option when Frank Mason or Devontae Graham were on the court. 
you know, seeing these type of passes from a wing is just not something you see a lot in college basketball, period, especially from, you know, a prospect who, you know, was billed more as a defender and a scorer. I think that makes him really, really valuable. And it's it's just surprising to me that there really hasn't been much talk of him challenging Lonzo Ball for that number two spot. Maybe that's due in part to the UCLA connection to the Lakers and, and all that's wrapped up in that. But it, it just seems like Jackson is being somehow underrated as a prospect. Yeah, like Jackson's, he's just really smart and really unselfish. Like a lot of people in his position probably would have been like, I want to score as much as I can to boost my draft stock. I want to, you know, get my points per game to be as high as it could be. But Jackson didn't care about that. He just wanted to win. He had a great team around him in Kansas with a lot of veterans, which I think helped him. And I watched Jackson as a recruit quite a bit uh, in AAU and at USA Basketball. And I... I thought he was a good passer. I didn't know he was a great passer, which I do think he is. He reminds me quite a bit of Andre Gudala. Maybe it's not a perfect comparison, but I think, you know, if you get a young Iggy in this draft, he's probably not going to average 20 points a game. Like, I don't know how high Jackson's scoring potential is, though. I do think he can score the basketball, no doubt. Like, I guess an obvious floor comparison for him would be MKG, Michael Kick Gilchrist. But I just think he's going to be a lot better than Michael K. Gilchrist because of his passing ability. And I just think he has better scoring instincts. And like K. Gilchrist, if you wanted to think of a player who could help the Cavs against the Warriors, like K. Gilchrist would be one of those guys, like Mo Harkless, K. Gilchrist, guys who can switch screens with great length and still be athletic. But those guys can't really shoot. Jackson, I do think he can get up to be a pretty decent shooter. He shot 48% from three over the last 18 games. Uh, I don't think he's going to be a great shooter, but I, I do think he can be a decent enough shooter. So I really like Jackson. And now I'm talking to myself into the Lakers taking him at two. Like, I don't know. I like Lonzo and I like Jackson to the Lakers. They have a fascinating decision at number two. What do you think of Sean Marion as a, as a cop for Jackson? Yeah, that's good. I would say that Jackson is sort of like the guard version of Marion. You know what I mean? Like Marion was special because he slid up from the three to the four when Amari slid up from the four to the five. Uh, I don't really see Jackson being a four, even though he's tall, he's kind of skinny, but he could be like a guard version of that. You know what I mean? Where like he can defend a lot of guys, switch every screen. I mean, and I think he's better with the ball in his hands. Like Marion had more of a forwards game, whereas Jackson is more of a guards game, but that is a good comparison. I think the shooting, you know, as you noted, 48% from three over the second half, and he finished the season overall at like 37%, which is fine for a college wing. I feel like there's this this notion that he's not a good shooter, and the numbers don't necessarily reflect that whatsoever. Well, he shot like 50% on free throws, 55%. True. Like, he couldn't make a free throw. Also, his form is kind of ugly. I think his form looks awesome, actually. It looks really cool when he makes it, but it's just like he has a low release. Right. It's like an orthodox release. It looks uh, kind of it looks like a you know like a a bad version of like Ray Allen to me honestly and obviously that sounds like a ridiculous comparison you know given how great of a shooter Ray Allen is but like you said yeah he does kind of dip it down and it's so far away from his head when he actually releases the ball Yeah but I mean if he's like one of those guys where it's like if he develops the jump shot like he would be in contention to go number 1 I would still probably take faults I'm a really big believer in faults but it's like Jackson is the one guy in this class that I really think you can count on defensively from day one to just be a stud on defense. I think that the way the game's trending, that is just so much value.
there was a, a report from Chad Ford that the the Sacramento Kings are interested in moving up uh, for De'Aaron Fox, which you know theoretically would be the Sixers moving back to take picks five and ten. Fox goes three if, if you assume ball goes two, and then all of a sudden Josh Jackson would fall outside the top three. Like a, how realistic do you think that is? And B, like, can you think of a prospect, like a pre-draft prospect, who was as good as Josh Jackson, falling outside the top three in a recent draft? We were we were kind of thinking of like Russell Westbrook and Dwayne Wade, and just trying to you know remember back to how good of prospects we thought they were before the draft. And I, I feel like I mean they went on to have you know, they're both going to be Hall of Famers, but I feel like before the draft, neither of those guys were you know, necessarily head and shoulders above of the type of prospect Josh Jackson is. Yeah, I don't know. Paul Pierce, I don't know if you guys followed it that far back in the day, but, like, I remember Paul Pierce slipping to 10. That was, like, crazy. Karam Butler slipping. I don't know. But uh, to go back to, you know, the the question about is this realistic, I wrote about this today on SBNation.com if you want my longer breakdown on this potential trade of 5 and 10 for 3. Uh, I think it's a really, like, I would not do it if I was the Kings, I guess. But I, it's tough, though, because that 10th pick, like I said, like, that's sort of where the cutoff is for talent. So, like, if I'm the Sixers, in a sense, it seems like a good idea because I could get Monk at 5. And then at 10, hopefully you get, like, Donovan Mitchell. But let's say Mitchell's gone at 10. Then you have to take Markinen, but you already have all these big men. You don't really need Markinen at all. Then you're taking like Justin Jackson. And at that point, if you're talking Justin Jackson plus Monk, I would almost rather just keep the pick and draft Josh Jackson. So I don't know. It's sort of interesting. If I was the Kings, I don't think I would do it, though, because I think that they could either. I definitely wouldn't do it if I was the Kings. Because it's like, Fox is good, but he might be there at five as it is. I think he probably will be. And if he's not there, just take Dennis Smith. That's what I would do. And then with the 10th pick, I would take Markinen. I think Markinen to the Kings would be interesting. Or take Donovan Mitchell or Justin Jackson or whoever. So I guess it's a tough decision for Philly because you would have to... If you could get Monk and Mitchell, maybe that's worth it for Philly. Mm -hmm. But I would just be tempted to take Josh Jackson because I think Josh Jackson's going to be a stud. And I know it's not a natural fit with Simmons because of, you know, the hole in Josh Jackson's game is his shooting ability. But, man, like you're going to need people to defend, to get loose balls, to just fight defensively and guard multiple positions. And Josh Jackson can do that. I, I feel like the Kings need two lottery talents. You know, like if they if they believe in, De, in De'Aaron Fox and think he's going to be that good – you know that's their prerogative but the looking at that roster they're in no position to turn two top 10 picks in a really loaded you know draft into one top three pick yeah they're in a tough position like if miles bridges would have came out he would have been the obvious pick at 10 i think yeah he gets point guard at five and bridges at 10 and then you're set but he didn't come out he's going back to school so then it's like what are you really going to do with that pick if you know, if the board doesn't break your way. Right. So it's interesting. I don't know. I mean, do you, if you're the Kings, you, you know, like you said, there's a decent chance Fox might be there at five. You know, obviously Phoenix at four has plenty of guards and, you know, whether they want to keep Eric Bledsoe in the long term remains to be seen. But 
I mean, should Philly even want De'Aaron Fox? Or if they're interested in this trade, would it all be posturing by the 76ers just to make teams think that they're interested in Fox? I wouldn't want Fox if I was the Sixers. Right. I don't, uh, I don't think so either, no. Yeah, it's I mean, like, what, what's the point of that? That's, that's stupid. Yeah, like saying that Josh Jackson and Ben Simmons are kind of, you know, the same guy. I mean, at, at, at least Josh Jackson can play off the ball. Like Fox and right. Simmons are both. Well, Jackson's not a great fit players, with right. Simmons on paper, but I think he's a great fit next to Saric on paper. Yeah. Depends which way you look at it. I mean, I would just take him. It's like, who cares? Yeah. He's, he's going to be really good, I think. You'd have a lot of... And the other thing, too, is Jackson's really unselfish, which I think is an underrated trait. I also think Lonzo would be a great fit in Philly. I know some of the Philly fans don't like him. I don't really know why. Uh, I think Lonzo would be really good there, yeah. too, if he were to slip. Do you think we'd be viewing Lonzo differently if it wasn't for you know all the stuff involving his dad? Like, Would there be more competition for the number one pick? Uh, no, because I think Fultz is just that good. But the thing okay. is, like, when you think of the Ball family, a lot of people are going to think of a dad with a big mouth. But, like, Lonzo, he's special because he's a genius. He's, like, really smart. I think that that's what separates him from everyone else. Like, he just has – he's a savant. He has superior basketball IQ. So, like, instead of, you know – I guess that just like flies in the face of what you naturally think about with the Ball family, if that makes any sense. You know, it's sort of like the polar opposite of what you think about. But that's really what his greatest strength is. So at, you know, one of the toughest picks in this first round or at least in the lottery to to mock, I feel, is the the Timberwolves pick at number seven, Uh, just because they, they were so bad on defense last year. They're three best players were pretty bad on defense and a lot of the players that might be available to them there have questions about their defense so what what's the ideal situation for them at seven do you see them entertaining trades for that pick like how do you how do you see them sort of approaching picking at seven that's interesting because i do mock drafts every week for SB nation and to me the hardest pick is the one before them the magic it's like i don't know what the hell the magic are gonna do but I think the Timberwolves is pretty easy. They should take Jonathan Isaac if he's there. If he's not there, then they're in a tough spot. I would probably take Markman. But it's probably going to be one of those two guys to me. Like I think that Isaac is the obvious guy you want, though, because he could slide into the four between Wiggins and Towns. And he could just be perfect because you wouldn't have to put a lot on, on his plate offensively. He's, you saw at Florida State, like, Isaac, he's really good at blending in with a talented cast of guys. Like, he's not going to, like, hog the ball. He's not going to take a bunch of bad shots. And he could focus his energy defensively then, where I think he could potentially be special on the defensive end in terms of switching screens, guarding a wide variety of guys. And then you just hope that his, you know, his spot-up J gets better and better. So, uh, to me, the Timberwolves is easy. They they should take Isaac if he's there. Yeah, no, I I guess... It's been hard for me just because I always mock Isaac ahead of the Timberwolves. But, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. I mean, he's the only kind of guy in that top nine or top ten who has, you know, impact potential on defense once you get past a, a guy like Jackson. So are you thinking Isaac to the Magic? Yeah. I, I, if they're smart, I think so. I, I like Isaac a lot more. Um, I mean, to me, there are, are certain tiers sort of within the top nine or ten, and I, I, I feel like Isaac's just on – 
a different level of, of guys like Markkinen and Monk. I know that, I mean, I'm sure other people disagree with that, but I, I don't see how the magic uh, could really pass on, on Isaac at six, assuming the, the top five kind of goes as expected. Yeah, I mean, especially now they got John Hammond, too, as their GM. Like, he sort of made his name in Milwaukee, swinging for the fences on high upside guys. Isaac is probably that guy in this draft. I actually think that that might be inaccurate in a sense. Like, Isaac, I just don't know. Like, he can barely catch the ball. Like, I don't think he has great hands. I don't think he has great feet offensively, really. But I think he has a high floor because he's going to be sick on defense. And as long as he can hit like 35% of his threes, he's going to be super valuable. I see him as like a super role player, which is exactly what the Timberwolves need. Right. Uh, And maybe what the Magic need, too. I mean, the Magic probably needs some star power. So maybe they go Malik Monk. But I don't know. I mean, Orlando, I have no idea what they do. I think Isaac and Monk are the two guys to me. When we look back, you know, whether they whether in five years they're really good players or they're disappointments, they're the players that we're going to say, you know, where they went ultimately determined how their career turned out. You know, like we might look at Isaac and say, man, if he would have gone to San Antonio somehow, he'd be a really good player. Like, I I feel like his like you said, he has a high floor on defense. Um, But I think if he goes somewhere like Orlando, where they maybe want him to be like the second option on offense, that might be a problem for him. Yeah, it's like if Monk goes to the Knicks, I wouldn't really like that fit. I just feel like the Knicks wouldn't put him in a position to succeed. And like Chris Stapps is the star there. He needs like a great passer next to him, I would say. So I don't know. It's like I would like Monk to, I mean, Philly ideally. Like if they were to do that 5-10 and deal, like Mm -hmm. even if they just take him at 3 – I don't think that would be a bad pick because I think Monk's going to be pretty good. I'm high on Monk if he gets in a good situation. But I agree the fit's going to determine a lot with Monk, and I think it determines a lot with all these guys. Yeah, yeah, I think that's certainly fair. I think marketing could be in that category too. Do you think there's any chance Minnesota might shop that number seven pick in, in hopes of getting a veteran? Uh, yeah. I mean, they supposedly thought about doing it last year. Like, right. for sure, I think Tibbs... I know Tibbs well. No, I don't really know him well. But as a Bulls fan, I spent a lot of time cheering for his teams. And I think he would for sure, like, I mean, what did they really get out of Chris Dunn yeah. last year? I'm sure they regret not trading that yeah. <laughs> Right, exactly. <laughs> got, like, nothing out of him. And, like, he might not even be a piece for the future for him, you know? Like, maybe right. they just go with Rubio. Well, that's another question, too, is, like, if you're, if you're Minnesota and, like, let's say Fox is, for whatever reason, available at seven, or, you know, even Dennis Smith will probably be there, like, are you willing to just punt on Chris Dunn and say, you know, we messed this one up. We're taking another point guard. No way. That would be stupid. It's like, cause Rubio is already pretty good. I still like Dunn. I know he had a rough rookie year and I know he's older. So people want to write him off, but Dunn still has a lot of the attributes. I think that you want in a point guard. Uh, so I wouldn't write off Chris Dunn yet. I think he's still going to be a pretty good player. Hopefully that'll happen in Minnesota. If not, I think it could happen somewhere else. Yeah, so looking at a couple of other teams, um, you know, in this first round that might be looking to deal, you know, Detroit is already you know, fairly been fairly open that they're open to to dealing number twelve, um, in hopes of landing a veteran, and I think Portland is the other kind of obvious one with three picks between fifteen and twenty six. I mean, if you're the Blazers, we'll start with them. You almost have to either trade at least one of those picks or, or try to get a draft and stash guy. 
Yeah, I agree. It's like the Blazers have like four centers too. Right. So it's like who like there's so many big men in the middle of this draft. It's like, do you really want any of those guys? You already have four centers. So I don't know. Like, if I was the Blazers, I would have wanted to draft Hamadou Diallo, but he right. went back to school. So like, maybe you draft T. Ferg. I don't know. Like, I don't. I don't really know what the Blazers do. They're in a hard spot. Like, they obviously they need a three and a four who are similar to Amino and Harkless defensively, but just have more offensive game. But there's just not a lot of those guys in this draft. I mean, they might as well just reach for someone who they think could fit that role. Because, like, drafting John Collins or Justin Patton or Jared Allen, that's going to do nothing for them to me. Right. Well, that's that's the thing with, you know, they already have a bunch of those type of guys. I mean, you know, not that not that they're the same exact type of player as, you know, Harkless and Aminu, but they've basically already loaded up on these kind of swing forwards and you know yeah as you go through and mock portland it's just just really hard to to see an obvious fit there like i don't i mean i think ideally maybe you somehow can package you know two of those picks and maybe grab a guy move up a couple spots and grab a guy you really like but you you really can't feasibly with how this roster is constructed right now and what you have on the books you really can't come out of the first round with three players unless you're planning on you know not picking up options or or moving other guys in the offseason yeah, I don't really know. Maybe you like trade it to a team that's similar to you for their next year's pick. Right. Like I don't know. It's such their, their roster is bizarre. I'm looking at the salaries right now, and it's like you know, obviously you have Lillard locked in, you have McCollum locked in. That's great. You, you got Crab, but then I mean, you're paying Evan Turner at least 17 million for the next three years, and you know Myers Leonard's contract accelerates each year, and Harkless is, does the same. I, I just I do wonder if, you know, they, they signed all these guys last summer. I, I don't know if the intention for every single one of those guys was we're going to keep them through the duration of this contract or if it was kind of just a short-term play to, to eventually use some of these guys as chips. Yeah, I don't know. It's like, how, what's even the Blazers' path to contention? It's like their backcourt's sick on offense but doesn't defend anyone. So then I think that, like, I really like Harkless as a player, but he's just, like, not good enough offensively. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, like I said, I would just try to find two wins, like Harkless and Aminu, but guys who are better at offense than those guys. Right. So, I mean, but that's a super – that's what everyone wants. You know what I mean? Like, every mm-hmm. single team needs that type of player. Right. I mean, they're similar to Boston to me in some ways. Obviously, Boston has better defensive guards than Bradley and Smart. You know, they're basically the complete opposite of Lillard and, and McCollum, but – Portland's constructed this roster where they go nine or 10 deep with playable guys, you know, and, and guys who, you know, on a lot of teams would probably be playing 20 plus minutes per night. The problem is you only have maybe two and a half players that are better than just pretty good. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Like Nurkic was a good addition for yeah. them last year. Like they're in a tough spot though. I mean, everyone is the fact of the matter is no one's ever going to beat the Warriors. Right. Which like, if I'm a GM of a team, like, I don't even know how that affects your mindset. It's like, whatever you do, you're hopeless. You're not going to beat the Warriors ever. Well, that's so, what I wanted to bring up with Markkanen earlier. It's, you know, it depends. The team that takes him has to not be thinking about the Warriors, right? Because, like, Markkanen is the type of guy that, in theory, at least defensively, would, would be almost unplayable against Golden State. So, like, to me, Markkanen is a player that would have had a lot more value coming out even three years ago, you know, considering this current iteration of the Warriors. 
Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, I don't know that you also need to hit threes to keep up with. Them. Right. And it's like not, you know, are all 29 teams going to be designing their roster specifically to beat the Warriors? Like if that's the case, then there's like 50 players in the NBA right now that are just not going to be on a roster. And obviously that's not going to happen. Yeah, it won't happen right away, but I mean, it could happen in like three years. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the thing. Like, is that an Al Jefferson type? You know, are those players just going to be extinct? You know, are they not even going to be getting these you know ten mil a year contracts that you know that 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 type of player has been seeing? Yeah, it's like Cantor's an eighty million dollar right. player, and it's like, like to what end? Like, who the hell wants to do that? Yeah, I mean, like that's just stupid. <laughs> that's that's like, my that's biggest been- fear with this Warriors team is that we're going to see you know every team is going to feel like they need to construct this very specific roster and we're just not going to see the type of variance that makes the nba fun where certain teams play certain ways and certain guys have these unique skill sets i think you know like you said Cantor's maybe the best example really really productive player 10 years ago would have been a, a highly coveted player and now you know when, when he's on when he's on your team he's unplayable uh, against the the primary competition in your conference yeah it's bizarre. I don't know. I agree. It's just tough for all these other teams. It's like, honestly, the smart move for a lot of these teams is to tank and to build post warriors. But it's like that sucks for the fans of the teams. Unless you're like a real diehard who's like into that kind of thing. But like for the majority of the city that supports the team, yeah, no, no one wants to do that. You know, like and tanking's bad anyway. Just for the NBA in general, like the NBA doesn't want anyone tanking, right? Well, and the other thing too with that is, if everyone's tanking, then no one's tanking. You know, right. like you, somebody still has to finish. Somebody still has to go to the finals in the East. Somebody still has to be the eight seed in the East, no matter what. Yeah, it's true. So we haven't talked too much about the big men in this draft. Obviously, we touched on Markinen. Um, but you know, who, who are the guys that are mostly mocked in the middle of the first round uh, that you've been keeping an eye on? You know, Jared Allen, Zach Collins, uh, Anabogu from UCLA, Justin Patton. Those are kind of the four to me that, that seem to pop up in that 12 to 20 range. Yeah, those are some interesting players. I mean, I think what happens to the big men in this are going to be fascinating just because, like, who really wants a big man now? Like, you right. know... You just look at every team. I do the mock drafts every week. And the one team I could see taking a big man is Atlanta because they have Dwight for two more years. They could, like, groom Jared Allen or Justin Patton behind Dwight. And they drafted two wings last year, Bembry and Terry Prince. So, like, I think Atlanta should take a big man. But, like, besides for that, you just go up and down and it's like Portland's got all these big men. Uh, you know, the Pacers, do they really want another big man? They have Miles Turner. It's like, it's hard to find a spot for all these guys. And I wouldn't be surprised if a couple of them who seem like easy first round picks slip to the second round because of that. Yeah, I totally agree, especially the more traditional types. You know, I really like Zach Collins. I think he's going to be awesome on defense. He might be somewhat of an exception, honestly, because even though it was a small sample, he showed that he's at least comfortable shooting open threes um but a guy you know like on you know Patton at least has showed a little bit of an ability to, to dribble and it's it through a couple nice passes in transition from what I was able to see of Creighton this year like on is just a rim runner right I mean it, it's hard to imagine him really developing into much more than that but that's an important player type I still it think is. man like I mean 
everyone compares him to Capella. Like, Capella's a pretty good player. If he turned into yeah. Capella, you'd be happy with that. And then, like, I don't know. He's got elite – he's got elite length. He's he's decent, I think. He like, didn't I jump was, as well as I thought he would at the Combine. Yeah, right. Well, he's just like a brick of muscle. He yeah. might not have heavy legs. Yeah, that's true. But again, I mean, what was it, six or seven, six and a half wingspan or something like that? I mean, that that makes up for it. And it's not like he jumped terribly. I think he was at like thirty three inches, which is not horrible when you're six foot ten with that wingspan. Sure. Um, well, where are you at on Jared Allen? Then he's somebody that I've liked quite a bit. I think he's super raw, obviously, and it was tough to evaluate him watching them. You know, Texas playing that archaic two big man style where there was no spacing. I don't. I don't know that they utilized him all that well. Yeah, I don't know. Like, he could be good. He's really long. He's got quick feet. But, like, he never did anything that made me think, like, this guy's a player and not a prospect. You know what I mean? Right. But to be honest, I didn't watch a ton of Texas because they were terrible. Yeah, I that's, did that's to your own benefit. I did see Allen play as a recruit before he got to Texas. But, again, like, is he switching screens? Like, I guess maybe he could. He's pretty quick. I don't know. What do you think? Like, I don't really have a good take on Allen. I don't know what his comp is necessarily. Like you said, is he switching screens? I don't know. I mean, he's quick enough. He's, you know, his, his leap was nice. 35 and a half inch max vert, seven, five wingspan. I think the measurables are there, but yeah, like you said, he just looked like a really good athlete playing basketball and, you know, finishing around the rim last year. I don't know what his ultimate ceiling is. I would take him at 19 if I was a Hawk. Sure. I don't know if he's going to be there, but like that would be a good fit, I think, for both the player and the team. So you're you're a Bulls guy. You're a Bulls guy. The Bulls pick 16. I'm a Bucks guy. The Bucks pick 17. Who do you want Chicago to take realistically, assuming Markel yeah. Fultz doesn't fall to 16? Yeah, I would want Donovan Mitchell, but I don't even know how realistic that is anymore. I think he's going to be gone. I think he's going to be gone too. So then at that point, like I feel like they are going to want Justin Jackson who I could probably talk myself into, but I don't really like Justin Jackson. But he has answered every question I have about him. He made 105 threes during the season, a 37% clip. That's more threes than anyone else made uh, in this draft in the first round. Like, Monk made 104. Well, he wasn't even a good shooter last year. Like, he's the, he's, it's very hard to find guys who come back to school for their junior season and basically do exactly what they need to do and improve on exactly what they're told to. I mean, he's up like 10 percentage points. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like, he did everything he needed to do, and he defended Monk really well in the Elite Eight. Yeah. So it's like maybe he defends two guys, but for whatever reason, I just don't think he's going to be a very good player. Like, I don't really... Like, scoring is the last thing that translates, and I don't think he's a good enough athlete. I mean, could he be like a, you know... uh, a decent to slightly below average starting to like a Courtney Lee type. So how about this? If the Kings take him at 10 Ugh. and they take Fox at five, so then you have Fox healed Jackson scal and Cauley Stein. Like Jackson's probably your fifth starter in that scenario. Like your fifth best starter. He could be pretty decent in that role. Like he could probably give you a little offense, a little defense. Yeah. He wouldn't be counted on too much. Like, I kind of think that that would be a decent fit for both him and the Kings. But I just don't know how high his upside would be. I don't know. He's yeah. tough. Well, that, that's the thing. I mean, he's already, you know, he's going to be 
almost 23, I think, or 23 and a half when the season starts, depending on how much stock you put into that. I don't know if I'd like Sacramento at 10. I feel like to me, that'd be a bit of a reach, but like, you know, Chicago at 16, like you said, that wouldn't be the worst. I mean, it's the 16th pick. You can only expect so much. I mean, the Bucks took freaking Rashad Vaughn at 18 a couple of years ago. They also took Giannis at 15. They did. They did. I mean, is there anybody, and Giannis isn't even a fair comparison, obviously, but is there anyone who's currently projected, you know, beyond pick 12 or so who you really think we could look back on and say, like, you know, this guy's going to be a, you know, an all NBA type of player? Obviously, well, like I said, Giannis isn't down, a fair comp. What's up? Yeah, let's go down the list. Like, I would say Ananobi, maybe, but like, he's just a beast. Yeah. He's a freak. Uh, he's really raw offensively, but he's also like not even 20 yet. Like he could get a lot better. Right. Like, could he turn into like a Kawhi level player? Like, obviously that's like a, he would have to achieve 200% mm-hmm. of his ceiling to do that. But that's exactly what Kawhi did. Exactly. Yeah. That's, that's the thing. Nobody, nobody was saying Kawhi was going to be Kawhi coming out of San Diego state. Right. So, and I would say maybe, uh, Going down the list, I mean, what about Justin Patton? Like, what if he can really shoot it? Right. And then, like, like I don't think he's going to block many shots, though. Like, I don't know how good he's going to be on defense. I don't think he's a great jumper. He's pretty fast up and down the floor, and he's got a really good knack for finishing. Mm-hmm. So, like, maybe Justin Patton? A lot of time. I think Patton's the guy, you know, just like you said, there's just not many other options that have, you know, guys in this range that have that kind of unique skill set. You know, like I said, I've, I've watched the highlight tapes of him, which, of course, don't show everything, but an ability to dribble as a legit seven-footer, the instincts to pass when you should pass, you know, the fact that he's even leading fast breaks in the first place is intriguing. He's kind of the guy I want Milwaukee to chance on at 17 because, you know, if Greg Monroe opts out or even if he does opt in, he's gone after next year. John Henson has basically fallen off the face of the earth for them. Hopefully Spencer Hawes isn't back. And obviously they have Thon Maker, but I think they could use another versatile big man. All right. If I'm a box, I'm taking DJ Wilson. Okay. And he's another guy who I would say is high ceiling. But just to throw one more name on there, this French center, Jonathan Janay, John John. I I think they were pronouncing it Jonathan John at the combine. Jonathan John. Like, I don't know. If Gobert was all NBA, John John could be all NBA. Sure. Yeah, and that's I feel like that's kind of a blessing and a curse for him. Like everybody's gonna measure him up against Gobert because he yeah. looks like Gobert and right. is from France. That's unfair for sure, because Gobert's awesome. How much well, of him did you get to see at the combine? Uh so like mostly at the combine I was doing interviews. Oh really? I wasn't really like watching too much of the five on five, mm-hmm. but he was the one guy who I was keeping a little bit of an eye on just because I hadn't seen him play before. And he looked decent. I mean, I'm not going to pretend that I am like a scout who can immediately diagnose how good someone is in an open court setting. You know what I mean? But he looked, I mean, he looked comfortable on the court. I don't really know. He's obviously huge. Yeah. I saw a video of him ripping some jump shots. That's pretty interesting. I thought he looked really tentative on day one on Thursday and then was a lot better Friday. I mean, he whipped out a Euro step. It was just like a natural, he kind of, I wouldn't say he blew by his defender, but he dribbled past his defender, Euro stepped, ended up missing the shot. But like the fact that you're a legit 7-2 guy that even has that in the arsenal or even the, you know, the early makings of, of that type of move, I thought was interesting. Um, I also thought it was interesting. I don't know if you noticed this at the combine. He was rocking low top Kobe's 
which for a guy who's seven two and whose legs are like as tall as as you and I probably are, was a bizarre bizarre scene just to see. Um, and I was surprised he was only seven two. I mean, he, I, I would have honestly guessed he was probably seven four or or seven five the way that that he towered over everybody in Chicago. Sure. Um, so speaking of the combine, I want to talk about a couple of my personal favorites. Jawan Evans didn't end up playing five on five at the combine. I think he was on the initial list and ended up dropping out as most of the top prospects did, but he was still there to get measured. Uh, what is your take on Juwan Evans? I really fell in love with him watching Oklahoma state, uh, during the big 12 tournament. And then in their first round game against Michigan. Yeah, I would take Juwan Evans if I was a team like, I mean, if the magic don't go with a point guard with their first pick, I would take Evans at 25, I think. Or <clears throat> maybe like the Nets at twenty seven. I like Utah at thirty. I mean, you don't know what's what's happening with George Hill. Not that Juwan Evans is going to be ready to step in as a starter right away, but I don't think that's a horrible fit. Yeah, that's good too. Uh, Evans is good. I mean, you just look around the league. Like he's short, but he's good at everything, which I feel like is a a trade off you'd be willing to make. Mm-hmm. Like. Ulyss looks better. Tyler Ulyss looks better than his draft position already. Right. Well, uh, Evans even has a couple inches on Ulyss, right? Yeah. I mean, he's he, short, but he's not like that short. He's not Isaiah Thomas short. Right. And he's got a lot. He's got six six wingspan. I mean, his arms are as long as deer and foxes, aren't they? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I like Evans. They were the number one offense in the country right. with efficiency. Oklahoma State, so. Yeah, I remember I, I read up on him prior to watching him, you know, late in the year, and you keep seeing these Chris Paul comps, and I remember thinking like, yeah, okay, I'm sure, but you know, not that he's going to be Chris Paul, but he plays like Chris Paul. Like, I would not be surprised at all to learn that he watches a ton of Chris Paul film, like the way he he's able to control pace, like snaking around those screens. Uh, it's just not really something you can necessarily teach. Is he going to be able to finish like Chris Paul and, and distribute at the NBA level like Chris Paul? You know, probably not. Uh, but I, I don't think those comparisons are absolutely ludicrous. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, he definitely was the Chris Paul of college basketball last year. Yeah. But it's like Chris Paul is the <clears throat> Chris Paul's the last of a dying breed, man. There's not a lot of point guards like Chris Paul anymore. Like, basically, the first thing the NBA did was they chopped off centers. Now LeBron's a center, Durant's a center. So it's like, who cares? Don't draft a center anymore. And now I think we're kind of going to chop off point guards. That's why, like, you never see a short point guard get drafted really high. Paul is sort of the exception that proves the rule. But at the same time, there's still just a lot of good basketball players out there that aren't going to fit into a box as neatly as maybe the league would want them to. And I think Evans is a good example of that. Like, there's going to be a spot for him just because he's a really good basketball player. Mm Mm-hmm even though there's not going to be a lot of guys who still look like him in the future. Right. Well, and that's the thing too. If you transport Wake Forest, Chris Paul, you know, into 2017, is he still a top five pick? I don't know. I I think it seems like we tend to dissect those players more. I mean, did, uh, did Bogut go number one in the Chris Paul draft? Yeah. It's like a player like Bogut. What did he average? Like 14 and 11 or something like it's laughable to think that a player with his skill set would go, number one and be the consensus number one pick you know in today's nba right bogut's got to be like the worst first number one overall pick ever who wasn't a bust but he right. was a pretty good player i wouldn't say he was a bust no all. i don't think so but i like think... he's just not number one good yeah honestly i mean of all years for milwaukee 
to get the number one pick. Of course, the the seven foot Australian guy is the consensus number one. But at least they didn't take Marvin Williams, I guess. There you go. I want to get your thoughts on Jordan Bell real quickly. He's another guy that I, that I kind of fell in love with personally down down the stretch, and I thought he was insane for Oregon uh, through that NCAA tournament run. At the Combine, he was probably one of the top three or four players uh, on both days of five-on-five five action, and he was basically doing exactly the same thing that he did during the tournament. Yeah, I think he had five blocks in one of the scrimmages. He picked up a ton of fouls. He was really aggressive, You know, wasn't great on offense. Um, but he's a guy to me that if he was two inches taller, we'd be talking about him as maybe a borderline lottery pick. Yeah, he's just really, really small. Like He can't even lift his arms above his head because he's so jacked basically right. he has a really small short standing reach uh so i don't know like i like jordan bell he kind of reminds me of justin mickey who was taken a couple years ago by the celtics out of lsu i'm kind of thinking i'd rather have mickey than bell but maybe i'm wrong about that bell is like super super fast mm-hmm. but i just don't know if he has the length to challenge shots and like skill set offensively like he's not going to put the ball on the floor He's not going to shoot. So yeah, I, I just the instincts I feel like are are off the charts defensively. But like you said, the, the offensive game is is underdeveloped. He's already twenty two and a half. You know that's gonna, that's. I mean, he's not going to go in the first round, right? I could late. I mean, like Spurs, he'd be a good Spurs. Sure. Pick. Oh, absolutely, he'd be a great Spur. But yeah, yeah, he's one of those guys too. Where if he ends up in like Sacramento or Orlando, we might never hear from him again. Yeah. It's tough, dude. Like, so much of it comes down to fit. It does. Uh, but, I mean, Jordan Bell's superpower is that he's fast as hell. He's super fast. And he's got great instincts, like you said. Mm-hmm. So he's got a chance, I would say. Okay, real quickly, before we get into rapid fire to finish out, I just want to ask you about some of the household names at the college level who, you know, casual college basketball or casual NBA fans are probably going to wonder why these guys aren't being drafted in round one. So, you know, Nigel Williams-Goss, Dylan Brooks, and Darius Thornwell, Frank Mason, Monte Morris, etc. You know, of this group and maybe any others you might have in mind, is there a place in the NBA for these kind of older college stars who were, you know, starting to see, especially in recent drafts, um, you know, college accomplishments seeming to matter less because oftentimes these players are older and are maybe undersized and are just kind of perceived to have a lower ceiling? Yeah, I mean, my guess is that one or two of those guys ends up being real good. Like, Brogdon's awesome, right? right? So I wouldn't be surprised if those guys end up being good. Like, Nigel Williams-Goss, he just rules. He's just a great player, but I guess he's slow. Is that the knock on him? I guess. He's I mean, he's got good not, size. Yeah, he's big, and he can kind of shoot it. What was his shooting? Was it 40? Do you shoot 40% from three? Um, Let me check on that. I mean, it had to be close. Yeah. Yeah, so, he was at he was at like thirty seven percent from three. Yeah, I mean that's good enough. Yeah, forty nine percent from the floor, six rebounds, five assists, three throws. So yeah, uh, yeah, like I, I wouldn't be shocked if Goss works out. He's just slow. Cinderius Thornwell is a tank. He looks like a football player, not a basketball player. Right. Uh, they have his listed weight at two fourteen. I would guess like two forty. Yeah. Is that? really weighed in at was 214 or is that an estimate no i guess i'm totally wrong he weighed in at 212 so apparently i don't know what i'm talking about but like he just seems like he's just like strong and he's built but he's not like super quick he doesn't have the quick twitch muscles that a lot of these guys have 
but he's he's got long arms, six ten wingspan. I don't know. I kind of like Frank Mason too, because I feel like the ability to shoot off the dribble is super important, and he can shoot off the dribble with range. Right. Well, I, I think Yogi Ferrell working out to some degree, you know, for Dallas helps a guy like Frank Mason, where it's like, you know, he, totally. Frank Mason was better than Yogi Ferrell. If Yogi Ferrell can do it, why can't Frank Mason? Right. We'll see though. I mean, it takes the right team. I, what do you think about Monte Morris? I. I was really excited to watch him in Chicago, and, it, and he was just—he was super, super passive both days in five on five. Yeah, I mean Monte Morris—he's not going to look good in that setting, I think, because he's really a team player. Yeah, and that's like pretty much the most selfish setting. Oh yeah, Dylan Dylan Brooks was in his element. Yeah, it's like all those guys just want to get buckets to show off what they could do for the NBA scouts. Like Morris—he's a real traditional point guard. He's a throwback. Mm-hmm. I kind of like Morris, but he could go either way. I mean, there's a million point guards. Right. I do think he has a really high feel for the game, so like maybe he could be decent. All right, let's finish up with some rapid-fire questions. Um, we'll start out with this one. Which lottery prospect to you has the most bust potential? Ooh, that's a good question because there's someone on the bus every year. Okay, let me look at this real quick. Uh, Tatum, I guess, or maybe Tilakina. But Tilakina, I don't know. He just seems slow. I guess Tatum, I would probably say Tatum, I guess. I don't know. It's like Tatum, like, how much is he going to compete on defense? He'll score, but is he going to be like the forward version of uh, Vucevic on Orlando? Is he that bad on D? I guess I didn't watch that closely. I mean, he shouldn't be. No, but I just, there's nothing I, about his build says he should be that bad. Yeah, I just don't know like how much of a willingness he's going to have to defend. I mean, I don't really know. Like, I don't hate Tatum. but I, I like Tatum if, a lot. Yeah, I don't love him, I would say. Because I don't think he moves the ball well. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's got a great feel for the game. I think he's kind of selfish as a player. So I guess I would go Tatum, but I still think he's going to score. So I don't know. I mean, there'll be someone who's a bust. Who I, I mean, maybe Fox will be a bust. Any of these guys could be a bust. I don't know. Right. Well, that's the thing. Like you said, you know, you know, you can't look back at any draft ever. And, and you know, the top 10 picks are all all-stars. You know, or the top, you know, there's no bust in the lottery. Like, it it it's tough because like I really like a lot of these prospects as I'm sure you do and like you said there's so many unique prospects in this draft that makes it really fun to evaluate like I don't want to even entertain the thought of Malik Monk being a huge bust in the NBA but there's a chance it's going to happen and you just know sure. at least one or two of these guys is not going to work out it, it's it's a tough thought definitely um so looking at the top 10 picks or so is there a player team match that you really like or that you really think makes a ton of sense on paper? I know you wrote something similar to this for SB Nation earlier in the week, kind of doing a mock draft based more on what makes the most sense for these teams rather than what you actually think will happen. Yeah, I like Isaac to the Timberwolves. I think that would be perfect. I think if the Timberwolves get Isaac, they're set. And then if they could teach Wiggins to play any level of defense, which he has no excuse not to be a stud on defense... I think then that they could really be a contender in a couple of years. Oh, I meant to ask you this earlier. So bonus rapid fire question. Do you think Josh Jackson or Andrew Wiggins is a better prospect coming out of Kansas? Great question. I don't like everyone's turned on Wiggins now, but he averaged 23 a game in the NBA when he should have been a senior in college. Right. 
but he's got to play some defense. Like he just doesn't play any defense. It's almost like they seem similar on the surface because they're like the same size. They're both super athletic and they both went to Kansas, but I would say their games are almost polar opposite. No, I agree. But Wiggins does not pass anywhere near the level of Jackson. Yeah. And Jackson really competes. Like, I don't know if Wiggins competes that hard. Right. I think so, I would go with Jackson. And, that, and that's what's, you know, what James kind of hit on earlier with like the fact that Jackson might go three or four, like the amount of hype that Andrew Wiggins received, you know, it would have been pretty insane if he didn't go one. And now we're sitting here saying like Josh Jackson might be a better prospect than him and he might not even go in the top three. Yeah, I agree. All right. So who's the better player in five years, uh, Jason Tatum or Josh Jackson? Based on what we, we just talked about, I feel like I might know the answer. Yeah, I like Jackson. I really like Tatum, man. I, I, I think offensively, he was Duke's best player for the last like 15 games of the year. Like you said, the feel isn't necessarily there. The passing isn't there. But like I've seen people say like his best case scenario is Danny Granger. Like I feel like his ceiling's a little bit higher than that. Not, not to take anything away from Granger, who was, who was really good at his peak. But I mean, 6'8", 6'11", wingspan, great athlete, can shoot it off the dribble. I just don't see what's what's really not to like about Tatum outside of the defensive questions. Yeah, I just don't know if he's going to make his teammates better. Like, yeah. to me, but it's like, I don't know. Like, that almost feels unfair for me to say, too. You know what I mean? Sure. Like, I don't really like saying that. Like, I don't want to say a kid's selfish or whatever, because I don't know. I mean, what do I know? I'm just some guy sitting here watching it. Mm-hmm. But... uh yeah, I mean, Tatum could be... I could see him going either way. He could be good, for sure. I mean, he could be a 20-point-per-game scorer for 10 years. Right. What do you think about him compared to Jabari Parker coming out? You know, this is kind of a similar question to Jackson versus Wiggins, both of these guys being, you know, scoring first, Duke forwards. Very interesting comparison. I would say that Jabari is actually more explosive athletically. Like, Jabari's kind of a freight train. I would not describe Tatum as a freight train. No, not at all. I feel like Jabari got more athletic after the surgery. I know, that's weird. I wonder if it's All right, um, we'll stick with Duke for the next one. At what point in this draft are you comfortable taking Harry Giles? Ah, man, I don't know. That's like, that's, you just ask your doctors on that one. Right. Like, to me, he'd be really good for the Nets at 22, I guess, because they got yeah. multiple picks. They might as well swing for the fences. Yeah, I think the obvious one for him is the Nets there, or if Portland, you know, for whatever reason, isn't able to move any of those picks. Like, you know, you got three picks within, you know, a nine-pick range. Might as well try one of them on Giles. I just... I don't really know what the ceiling is. Like, is there this hope that all of a sudden he's going to return to being the athlete he was two years ago? I just, I, there's really no precedent for that. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Who knows? He's tough to say. He's a medical decision, I would say, more right. so than a, uh, more so than a basketball mm-hmm. decision. All right. Two more. Uh, who's the player who's going to go somewhere late in round one or, or in round two that, in five years, we're going to look back on and say, wow, I cannot believe this guy went so late. I like my boy DJ Wilson. All right. DJ Wilson, at least he's got a chance. I would take him if I was Milwaukee at 17. He could be some Jabari insurance, mm-hmm. I think. Uh, he's got just the size of a forward, the sort of skill set of a guard. Those are sort of the guys everyone wants. He just isn't mm-hmm. consistent, but who cares? Like He actually has a chance to be good, so I would take him. All right, last one. Uh, I guess maybe outside of DJ Wilson, who is the prospect that you know? In talking to to other people 
analyzing the draft that you found that you're considerably higher on than most other people? Well, that's a good question. I have to look at the board again real quick. Who I'm higher on, like Wilson would be the answer to that, but I'll find another Mm -hmm. guy. Yeah, like Uh, who's the guy you would take at 12 that other people wouldn't take in the top 20? You know, that type of that type of player. Good question. Uh, I don't know, man. I really don't know. Like Wilson would be my answer. I guess another guy. I kind of like Derek White from Colorado. Yeah. So I talked to Derek White at the Combine, and I'm going to do a story on this. I think he's the first NBA player to ever get drafted where the first thing he's going to spend his money on is paying off his student loan debt. <laughs> he's one of us, basically. Like yeah. He's a student player and had to pay his own way. So he's got $9,000 in student loan debt. He's got a crazy story. He, got, he had like a five-inch growth spurt when he was 19 or something. Uh, I saw him at the Combine. He was really impressive because – he just has no holes in his game. I think he could kind of pass, he could kind of shoot, he could kind of dribble, mm-hmm. and he's an above-average athlete. So, I mean, I didn't even know who he was during the college season. That's pretty embarrassing, but I'll admit it. Uh, but I think he could be pretty good. Yeah, I like him. I thought, uh, Kyle, is it Kuzma or Kuzma from Utah? Kuzma. Kuzma. I thought both of those guys were, were similar. You know, long, long players. Obviously, Kuzma's more of a forward, whereas uh you know white can handle the ball a little bit more as a guard but i thought both of those guys were were really impressive especially on day one of a five on five i think kuzma didn't even play on day two because he might have got some sort of promise yeah i really liked kuzma at utah i thought he was going to take a little bigger of a step forward this year it didn't really happen Mm -hmm. uh but no he's good i would i like him quite a bit all right, I, that's all i have for you man this was really good really really appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule to join us Cool. No problem. Thanks for having me. Are you going to be at the draft? Nope. But I will be doing a live show for SB Nation. Oh, really? You can watch our show on YouTube with your laptop. Uh, you know, while the draft is going on, you don't have to listen to ESPN. You can listen to me instead if you want <laughs> to. All right. That's a great plug, man. Be sure to watch that on draft night. Of course, make sure to read Ricky's work on SB Nation and give Ricky a follow on Twitter if you're not following him already. You can find Ricky at SBN underscore Ricky. Thanks again, man. Cool. Thanks, guys.